Glory to God. Well, we're going to be over in the book of Numbers here this morning. Numbers chapter 20. I heard this story told about a local sheriff. He was looking for a deputy. And so he had a lot of people coming in and filling out applications. And this one guy was coming in. He's not the brightest guy, not the smartest uh, guy in the, in the town. And he was coming on in, and he uh, was going to give him a test, you know, like he did everybody else. And so he asked the man, he says, uh, he says all right, I got some questions for you. He said, uh, here's the first one. He says, what is one and one? And the man said, 11. Well, the sheriff was kind of upset with himself because he thought, that's not the answer I wanted, but it's not wrong. So he said, all right, let's go on to another question. He said, what two days of the week begin with T? He said, that's easy. That would be today and tomorrow. Again, it wasn't the answer that he wanted, but it's not wrong. So finally he said, all right, who killed Abraham Lincoln? The man thought about it for a little while, he pondered, and he said, I don't know. And he says, well, why don't you go on home and think about that for a while and then come on back to me. And so the man went on home, and his buddies were waiting outside. He said, how did the interview go? He said, it went great. I got the job. They already gave me my first murder case. <laughs> have you ever felt like you are in a situation, and you really don't have a clue as to what's going on? Have you ever felt like you were wandering around aimlessly and not real sure what it is that God has for you? You feel like the answers you're coming up with are right, but they just don't seem to be working. And your situation doesn't seem to be changing. And you want to have patience, and you want to have patience, and let patience have its perfect work, but it just doesn't seem like things are going the way that they should. Been in those situations? You had those things going on with yourself? We're going to take a look at some things with the children of Israel to help us with that. Let's read over our text verse here in this area we've been looking at with patience. In James chapter 1, verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We've been looking at this series on the things we can add to our life. These are things, not things to pray for. These are things for us to add to. First one we looked at was joy. We saw that joy is your strength. But there are things you can do to bring joy in. Many Christians just sit around and say, oh, God, give me, give me joy. Oh, God, give me strength. But that's not what we're supposed to be praying. We're supposed to be doing what the Word of God says. We then went on from there, and we looked at peace. And we saw that peace has two purposes in your life. One is to guard and to keep you, and one is to be the umpire, the deciding factor in your life, which way you should go, what you should do. And peace is something that you can bring into your life. And we looked at the principles that were involved with that. And we moved on here to patience. And we saw that he said, let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And patience does not, does not come because you go through hard times. Remember, we asked you this question. How many of you have been through hard times in your life? And how many still feel like you are lacking in the area of patience? Just because you went through a hard time doesn't mean your patience was made any better. James put it this way, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. That many people, when they have gone through testing, have not had it be testing of their faith because they have removed their faith from the test. They have gone into doubt. They've gone into complaining. They've gone into worry. They've gone into fear. They've gone into anxiety. And they took their faith and they put it aside and they went through the test and the trial without it. Your patience cannot have that you, you cannot have that, put it this way, let patience have its perfect work. You can't get that perfect work if you don't go through the test and trial in faith. If you go through in fear, worry, anxiety, it will not produce for you what the Word of God says it will. And you can say all, the, all that you want. Well, I'm going through these hard times. God must be teaching me a lesson. God must be developing my patience. No, He's not unless you go through them in faith. Now, remember the first verse we saw, verse 2. Brethren, count it all joy when what? When you fall into various trials, not led. You do not pray for patience and God leads you into all kinds of tests and trials. The Word of God says right there, when you fall into various tests and trials. That means God did not lead you there, but they came upon you. Didn't Jesus promise us that we would have tests and trials? 
Then he promises there'll be persecutions. God does not have to send them for them to come. Don't let the enemy sell you on this. Well, God has you in this test or trial for a reason. No. Test and trial came upon you. Now go through it in faith. Let patience have its perfect work and go on. He then goes and talks about wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. Most times that we get involved in a test or trial, we feel like there is something we're missing. There is some piece of wisdom we do not have. So ask God for that wisdom. He'll give it to you. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And in the weeks prior to this, we looked at how the children of Israel faced the Red Sea and how pressure tried to get them to, re- to move off of faith, and it did for them. Pressure will try and get you to move. Don't let pressure get you to move. We saw they became hungry, they became thirsty, and had a bad reaction to natural needs. And that bad reaction got them out of faith, got them into complaining, and their, their patience was not having this perfect work. We saw when Moses was up on the mountain that the people couldn't wait for any length of time. They waited 40 days. 40 days. And to the people down on the bottom of the mountain, they said, we don't know what happened to this Moses. He has been delayed a long time. God says to Moses up at the top of the mountain, look how quickly they left the way. We then went on and we looked at the quails. We saw that they became dissatisfied with the things of God. When you get out of patience, when you get moved off of your faith, you will become dissatisfied with the very blessings God has put in your life and see them as nothing any good. And that's what they did. They despised the manna that God had blessed them with. Every day manna came. Bread from heaven came and fell down and fed them in a place where there was no food. But they complained. We saw that that complaining had an effect on their own faith. It had an effect on their leaders. We saw a reaction from Moses we hadn't seen before. And it had an effect upon the whole congregation. Last week, we looked at being unprepared. That the children of Israel had gone through all these tests, had not gone through it in faith, had not produced patience. And so now they were faced with the opportunity to go into the promised land. And they heard the report. And they went south. They dropped their faith again. Because they had not been prepared. They had not gone in that, that way. So we ask this question, did God lead them to a place that their faith was not able to carry them through? Did God lead them to a place where they could fail? If you weren't here for that last week, it's posted up on the internet. You can go back there and get it. We're not going to spend all the time reviewing, but that's where we've been up to so far. Now, the children of Israel have left that area, and we come to the Word of God here in Numbers chapter 20, and look what it says. Then the children of Israel... The whole congregation came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, "If only we had died with our brethren, died. Be- uh, if only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought us up out of the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness?" that we and our animals should die here. So many of the people that were supposed to die had died. And they said, why don't we just die with them? They're complaining again about water. How many think they, they ought to learn this one? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? Is it not a place of grain or, it is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So again, they run into a place with no water. Now, does God know that the place that they are at, which he led them to, how's he leading them? Pillar of cloud by day, fire by night. He led them to this place. Did he lead them to a place with no waters? Oh, I forgot there was no water here. He had a plan for it. All they had to do was say, there's no water here, Father, what are we going to do? And he would have told them. But they said they decided to complain, do as they normally did. I want to show you some things in, in, in this that you may not notice when you first read it. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and shall 
give drink to the congregation and their animals. Now, this was supposed to be an object lesson for them because the first time you came to the rock, you struck it. Then when you come to the rock after that, you speak to it. That would tell us that God had a plan. That the first time they came without the water, he had a plan to strike the rock and bring the water. They didn't have to complain to get him to do it. He had the plan already. The second time they came to this place where they're going to bring water from the rock, he just said, speak to it. Speak to it. And it will yield it. And that's what it's, what it's supposed to do. Now, keep that in mind. We're going to come back to that in just a minute here. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. How many think that the complaining of the people of Israel has had an effect upon Moses? Once again, we see they complained and it had an effect upon Moses. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Now, don't jump all over him for the we part. Because is it not a we? If God was going to do it by himself, wouldn't it have been done? What does, what does he say to Moses the first time? Strike the rock. So what was God's part? To bring the water from the rock after Moses struck it. But nothing happened until Moses struck the rock. Now we come to the second time. And God says, speak to the rock. So when he gets up in there and says, we, he's got a role in this. So does God. He's got a role. Moses has to do something for this to happen. So it is a, it's, it's perfectly fine for him, in my book anyway, for him to say, we. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Now he's mad with them because they once again complained. He's got to get fresh. Don't you guys get it? Don't you guys get this yet? He's not mad because they complained at him. He's mad because they're not growing. Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod and water came out abundantly. How many times did he strike the rock the first time? Once. What was he told to do here? Speak to the rock. So why does he strike it a second time? Because it didn't work when he struck it the first. Right? Why would he strike it a second time? Unless the water didn't come out when he struck it the first. And instead of changing and going back to what God said to do, Moses did what? Struck it a second time. And God brought the water out anyway. But he dealt with Moses later. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me to hallow my to hollow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hollowed among them. Now if you're Moses, and you have dealt with these guys for all these years, and God says, you're fired. If I'm Moses, folks, I am doing the dance of joy. Glory to God, somebody else is going to take this job. Oh, somebody else is going to have to mess with these people from here on out. I had uh, my, my pastor one time, he shared this with the, the thing. People got all upset because Moses messes up one time, and now he can't go into the promised land. But if you go over to the, to the uh, uh, Gospels, you will find the story there, the transfiguration. And in the story of the transfiguration, you have Moses, Elijah, and Jesus all in the promised land. And he said this to us. He said, he said, would you rather have gone into the promised land with two to four million complaining, murmuring Israelites or with Jesus and Elijah? <laughs> I like that one. That's a much better way to go into the promised land, isn't it? But anyway, that's what he, what he had done. Now, watch this here in verse 14. Now Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, You know all the hardship that has befallen us, how our fathers went down to Egypt, and we dwelt in, this, in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians afflicted us and our fathers. When we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent the angel and brought us up out of Egypt. Now we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your border. Please let us pass through your country. We will not pass through fields or vineyards, 
nor will we drink water from wells. We will go along the king's highway and we will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. Now, if you have that map ready, I want you to pull up this map. We're going to take a look at something here for you. This is the path where it's put together by some historians. It may or may not be completely accurate. But as far as we can tell, and I looked it over, I don't see anything that I can really say that's different from this. This is the path uh, around where they, they went. I didn't even look this thing up to see if they had the right Mount Sinai on there. They may not have the right Mount Sinai on this, but that's not really what I want you to look at. What I want you to look at is up here at the top where it says uh, number 12, where it says Kadesh Barnea. When they had uh, done all the things that they had done to try and go into the promised land, they came over to Kadesh Barnea, and that's where they stayed. And that was after they rebelled and they didn't go into the, the uh, promised land. How long did God say you'll wander around the wilderness or you'll be in the wilderness? Forty years. We don't have another story outside of this one here in the beginning of this chapter until they head over to Edom, which is about a year and a half to two years before they go into the promised land. So for 38 years, they hung out in the area of Kadesh Barnea. 38 years. When they came to Kadesh, what was the condition that they faced that brought them into complaining? No water. They were in the wilderness, and they faced a situation with no water. What did they do? They complained. Moses came, and they brought water out of a rock. The first time they struck the rock, and the water came out, they fed it, watered everything, and then they moved on to the next spot. We have no indication that they moved on from this spot until they were ready to go. You see that other arrow that goes there? What God is doing here once they leave Kadesh is they, make, they go on a path and they change their entry point to the promised land to go up into the area of Jericho and enter from there. But it seems that they stayed in Kadesh a long time. Now, if there was no water when they got there and they had to bring water out of the rock, how did they get water after that? Is it possible? It's not listed in the word, but is it possible that the water from the rock occurred like the manna from heaven and continued to go from the rock the entire time they stayed? Is it something that it continually flowed? Or was it something that they had to come and continually speak to? If it's something they had to come and continually speak to, can you imagine people coming up to the rock on a regular basis and say, water, come forth. And water would come. Can you imagine people going up to the walk, rock to get water and calling on the rock, giving them water? Do you think that would have an effect upon you? I don't know that that happened. It's not in the word. But we know that they got there, there was no water. And two to four million people will put a big demand on the water supply. Somehow that water came. And that water continued to come for the time that they were there. It's a long time they were there. God has a plan. Remember, they, they did not come into a place of faith, and God says, we're going to give it to your children. So now his goal is we've got to raise up the kids to be people of faith. So we've got to begin to do some things to bring them into a place of faith. Whether they're coming up to the rock and speaking to it, whether Moses would come out every day and speak to the rock, I don't know what had happened, but somehow water was continuing to come to this place that had no water when they got there. And then Moses comes and he goes to Edom. And he says, we would like to pass through. Now you see there up at the top, right underneath the Dead Sea, they wanted to pass straight through. And just get to the other side. And what did Edom say? Well, let's get on verse 18. Then Edom said to him, You shall not pass through my land, lest I come out against you with the sword. So he Moses requests passage through Edom. And they said no. They're on their way, in case you wanted to fill this out in your outline. They're on their way to a different entry point. They're going to a different entry point to come into the promised land. <clears throat> now Moses appeals to the brotherhood of the two nations. Hey, we're brothers. We all come from the same place. We want to go through. This is what we want to do. We won't, um, we won't drink any of your water. We won't eat anything. And they said no. So the children of Israel said to him, We will go by the highway. And if I or my livestock drink any of your water, then I will pay for it. 
Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. Then he said, You shall not pass through. So Edom came out against them with many men and with a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through this territory. So Israel turned away from him. Now, if you want to do some research, you can go back into the book of Exodus. And God told them there were certain nations he was not giving them their land. And certain ones that he was. And so they had to make sure to stay away from those that were their brethren because he hadn't given them their land. Verse, uh, let's see, jump on down. We're going to go over to Numbers 21, verse 1. The king of Arad, the Canaanite who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on the road to Atherim. Then he, brought, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. So the name of the place was called Hormah. Now, all right, let's pull up our map again. I don't have my pointer with me, so we'll do the best we can. But he is up over here in the land of Canaan. Now, whether they brought people down to fight against them or Israel went up a little closer, whatever it was, they had engaged in a battle and Israel lost. And so Israel comes back to God and said, God, will you give them to us? We will make a vow. If you give them to us, we will destroy everything they have, which is what they were supposed to do for the people in Canaan anyway. We will destroy it now. Now, here's the thing. I looked this up for, for quite a bit. I don't know if... Well, we're going to verse 3. I didn't read that yet. That's uh, verse 2. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites. They utterly destroyed them and their cities. So the name of the place was called Hormah. They destroyed this, the cities. I don't know if that occurs now or if it occurs later. And they make a vow. It really doesn't seem to be any purpose for making the vow unless they saw it maybe further down the road, just go back up there and do it. Whatever it might be, whether the God gave them to them now or whether it gave to them later, they did go in and they utterly destroyed the, the place and they took care of it. But here's the thing that you notice about this. This is one of the first times we have seen this with Israel is when they faced this adversary, adversary, <laughs> this adversary where is the complaining? Where did the complaining go? So anybody complains, says, have you brought us out here to kill us? Have you brought us out here that we would, there are no graves in Egypt? Brought us out here that we would die by the sword? There's no complaining. It's kind of odd, isn't it? For a people who found every possible reason to complain. So the defeat comes to Arad either now or later. Whenever it comes, it comes. Verse 4, then they journeyed from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. Now, again, we don't know if that victory occurred now or if it occurred later. If it occurred later, <clears throat> you can see why they, uh, a number of things here are playing on them. They, may ha they had to defeat. They lost some people. Some people were taken captive. Edom said no, and they had to go all the way down. They had to go a long way. How many of you get mad when you're on your way to work and a tree is down and they detour you? And you have to go a different, a different way. Or if you're going into the city and the Schuylkill is all backed up and you have to find another way to get into the city. And you, you get discouraged. You know, it's going to take me longer. Things are... That, that took them a lot. That's a lot more traveling. And we're not talking about the car going that way. We're talking about you walking. Could you imagine if you had a detour walking, going 20 or 30 miles south to come back up 20 or 30 miles north? Walking. However distance it was. I, don't, I didn't measure the distance out, but it was a, a good bit of a ways they had to go. Verse 4. The, so they journeyed from the Mount Hor all the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. Don't raise your hand if this is going on for you now, but how many of you ever remember a time when you became very discouraged? I'm going to give you a principle for that. Well, hey, I'll give it to you right now. Never give voice to discouragement. Never give voice to discouragement. If you become discouraged about a battle you are facing, if you become discouraged about a blessing that hasn't come, if you get discouraged about a 
healing or a financial situation or some kind of situation you've been believing God for and suddenly it just seems you've been on in faith, in faith, in faith, with patience, believing, and then all of a sudden one day you wake up and now you feel discouragement come upon you. Do not put voice to that discouragement. Don't speak out of that. Here's some of the things we would say. This thing is never going to go away. Don't say that. I guess this will never change. I guess I just won't have this blessing. Well, I guess I'll just die from this. Don't let discouragement have a voice. Don't do it. Remember that story we told you a while ago back in the, uh, back in the Bible? When the um, prophet came out and he says, This day tomorrow, food is going to be dirt cheap. I mean, you're going to buy food. It's going to be no, no big deal at all. And uh, one person, a lot, a lot of people were probably thinking it. <laughs> That's not going to happen. But one guy voiced the opinion. One guy stood up and says, If God would open the windows of heaven, could such a thing happen? Then the prophet turned to him, not to anyone else, not to anybody who thought it, the one who spoke it. He says, you will hear of it, but you won't taste of it. And he was trampled by the stampede of people who went down to get the blessing. Don't give voice to discouragement. Even if you are thinking it, even if you are feeling it, shut your mouth. Don't say it. Don't speak. Become just like John was, or John's father was, and be dumb. No words coming out of your mouth. Remember, he couldn't speak again until he said, call him John. Don't give voice to your discouragement. Verse 5. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Whenever you get discouraged, folks, this is the pattern. You will despise the blessings that God gave you as being insufficient and not good enough. That's what discouragement brings. Don't give it root. Don't give it a place. That's not patience. That's impatience. You left faith by the wayside. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt? Like we're just being acted upon here. To die in the wilderness. For there is no food and no water. And our soul loathes this worthless bread. Calling what God blessed you with as worthless. All right. Now we saw a little bit glimmer of hope before, right? Now we kind of went backwards. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Now, how, can, can you imagine this? How many like snakes? Yeah, <laughs> all right, a couple people like this. I'm not a big fan. I mean, they're, they're okay. If they're not a biting snake, you know, one of those constrictors or something like that, I, I'll, I'll have fun. I'll hold them, and I'll do some stuff with them. But I don't have a desire to go out and buy one and to keep it as a pet or any such thing as that. They... Um, I don't know, just kind of, we were at the aquarium not too long ago and they had, uh, we were walking on by one of the spots and they had the snake out because there's one little corner they just bring different animals out and this one particular time they brought the snake out. Beautiful snake. It's an, it was an albino corn snake. And if you're going to have a snake, a corn snake is a nice snake to have. It's, it's very nice, very peaceful, very pleasant. And so it was there and even little girl went up there and, and touched the snake. And after the first time, we touched it again. And then we touched it again. And we were excited about touching the, the snake. It was, uh, it was kind of fun. But we're not talking about corn snakes. We are talking about snakes that have venom and that are looking to bite you. They are looking. They're not, they're, they're not minding their own business. You're not over there turning over a rock. Oh, there's a the snake. No, it wants to bite you. Have you ever had a snake around you that wanted to bite you? You ever seen that? I have. I had that happen with me. Again, I don't like snakes. But there was a, we were, we were uh, going in the river decades ago. This was a long, long time ago, many decades ago. And uh, we were going down the river, and uh, a cottonmouth 
Everybody know what a cottonmouth is? Kind of an aggressive snake. Uh, they do have venom. And so um, he came up to the raft that we were in and was trying to bite anything he could get, including the raft itself. So when you had that snake in the water messing with you, and we're in rapids, you know, it's rapids and, and stuff like that's going on. And Well, one of the persons that was in the, the boat, this was not me, this was someone else, decided that we needed to defend the craft. And so they took the oar that we had, and they began to beat on the snake. And they were not having a great effect upon the snake. They kept beating on the snake. But one of the times, as they came down upon the snake, the snake got itself wrapped around the oar. So when they came up, the snake went up into the air. And we're all sitting in the, in the raft. We're watching. And it landed in the raft. Now here's the snake that was outside the raft, wanting to bite people. It is now in the raft, where the people are. Now, the wife of this particular person who was beating on the snake decided that her odds were better off in the river <laughs> and promptly exited the raft right over to the side. I was on the opposite end from her, but also the opposite end of where the snake entered the raft. And so you can imagine what happened if the snake lands on that side of the raft and I am on the far side of the raft, all of the people in the raft move to my side. So I am now crushed by all the people that are now trying to get away from the snake. So I can't move. But not to worry because the person who was beating on the snake still had the oar in his hand. And so they, uh, he and uh, somebody else began to uh, beat the snake some more because it worked out pretty well the first time. We beat the snake some more, and we got it pinned down into the raft itself. And we found one of those buckets. If you've ever done rafting, they give you those buckets, you know, so you can douse the other people. And, you know, so we took the bucket, and we somehow got the snake into the bucket. And so the bucket now contained the snake, and everyone, everything was calm. And so we carried the snake on back. The snake was fairly beaten up, still alive. Took it on back to the, to the people back there. Hey, yeah, we carried the snake in the bucket, in the raft, the entire rest of the way down. I'm not sure why we had that wisdom to do that, but that's what we did. Uh, so I know what it's like when snakes want to come and bite you. It's not pleasant. Most people don't like that. But here's this, this story. These, these snakes decided to come and to, we want to bite you. We're not here to leave you alone. We're not biting you because we want you to die and we want to eat you. We just want to bite you. We are on assignment from God to come out here and to bite as many of you as we can. And so that's what they did. So now notice the, the fiery serpents, they appear, they bite people. Many of the people of Israel died. Then we read, therefore the people came to Moses. Why did they come? Because the snake showed up, people got bitten, and people died. How many of you are showing up to repent before God? When the snakes show up, I think as soon as I see the snakes, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but no, we have to wait until the snakes show up. They bite people and people die. That's what we had to wait for. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. Oh, really? Very, uh, very good of you. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to take the serpents away. Nope, they're going to stay right there. I know it's not in your Bible, but that's, that's really what he said. Because <laughs> he says it this way. Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. Is there any mention of the snakes going away? Snakes are still there. So if the snakes are out there and you get bit by one, look up at this. Now, how many people are you think of the children? We know Israel. We've, we've, been, we've been around the block with Israel. How many of the children of Israel are going to say, that's not going to do any good? I'm not going to go out of my way to find this 
stupid snake wrapped around a pole to look on it. How many believe that there were some children of Israel who did this? What happened to them? They died. Good riddance, right? Out of here. Because we're getting ready to go into the promised land. We do not need you folks here. So he says, all right, this is what you got to do. You got to believe that something that doesn't seem like it's going to work will work. And you got to do it. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on the pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. You all know that that's the symbol of the medical community now. They had the serpent around the pole. This is where they got it from. Now, the children of Israel kept this for a long time. And we find out later on in the book of Judges that it became an obstacle to them. And some of them were worshiping this this thing. I think they called it Nahashta. I think that was the name that they had put upon it. Now, verse 10. Now the children of Israel moved on. Isn't that a good thing? You see, sometimes people, they don't move on. They keep living in the past defeats. Sometimes it's just time for you to move on. All right, that didn't work. That didn't happen so well. Move on. Stop living in the past. Stop living in what was going on and move on. On. So they moved on. We're going to jump on down to verse 16. From there they went to Be'er, which is the, which is the well where, where the Lord said to Moses, Gather the people together and I will give them water. Then Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well, all of you sing to it. The well of leaders sank, dug by the nation's nobles, by the lawgiver and their staves. And from the wilderness they went to Matana. So they go to this place, which is, which is the well where the Lord said to Moses, Gather the people together, and I will give them water. So the people didn't have water. We don't hear about complaining. We just hear they gather them together, and, there's, and they make a song. They make a song about this. We're not going to complain. Verse 21. Jump on down there. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying, let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside into your fields or vineyards. Because that worked out so well for, for, with Edom. huh? We will not drink water from wells. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. But Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together and went out against Israel in the wilderness. And he came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. So they asked to come through in a peaceful manner. And how are they received? We're not going to let you through. In fact, we're going to come out and we are going to destroy you. We're going to fight against you. How would Israel normally respond? Have you brought us out here to kill us? Were there not enough graves in Egypt for you to bury us there? Why is it that you have brought us out to this place? Isn't that how they normally would respond? But change is going on. Change is happening. And it's been a good one. Verse 24, then Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from the Arnon to the Jabbok, as far as the people of Ammon, for the border of the people of Ammon was fortified. So Israel took all these cities and Israel dwelt in all the cities of the Amorites in Heshbon and in all its villages. So war comes to Israel and so does victory. War comes to Israel and so does victory. And Sihon, every person that he had is wiped out. They take all of their territory. They take all of their cities, which also means they took all their stuff. This is the territory that is on the east side of the Jordan that Gad, the Reubenites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh decide, hey, this is good stuff. We'll stay here. Remember that? This is the, the first part of that. From Heshbon was the city of Sihon. I'm sorry. For Heshbon was the city of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and had taken all his land from his hand as far as the Arnon. Therefore, those who speak in Proverbs say, Come to Heshbon, let it be built. Let the city of Sihon be repaired. So these guys had a battle with Moab and had won. So they're, they're um, not an easy target. But they took them down. Verse 28, for fire went out from Heshbon, a flame from the city of Sihon. It consumed Ar of Moab, the lords of the heights of the Arnon. Woe to you, Moab. You have perished, O people of Chemosh. He has given his sons as fugitives and his daughters into captivity to Sihon, king of the Amorites. But we have shot at them 
Heshbon has perished as far as Daban. Then we laid waste as far as Nafath, which re reaches to Mediba. Thus Israel dwelt in the land of the Amorites. Then Moses sent to spy out Jazir, and they took its villages and drove out the Amorites who were there. So now they're becoming the aggressors. After they, these folks attacked them, they went out and they, they found more Amorites, and they went out and they, they got them all. Verse 33. And they turned and went up by way of Bashan. So Og, king of Bashan, went out against them, he and all his people, to battle at Edrai. Then the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him. Now there's no message sent. Let us pass through the land. Og just uh, came on down, he and all his people, to do battle. And here's what the Lord says to him. Do not fear him, for I have delivered him into your hand with all his people and his land. And you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon. Here's what God says to him. Do not fear him. Now, we've got how many years of history with Israel? If God says to the children of Israel, don't complain, what do they do? If God says to the children of Israel, don't go in the land, what do they do? They go in. If God says, go in the land, what do they do? They don't go in. If God says, don't build an image of me, what do they do? They build an image. If God says, wait, what do they do? Become impatient. Whatever God says to do, they do the opposite. I mean, they may hang on for a couple of days doing whatever it is that God said to do. But they don't hang on very long. And now they're facing another war, another battle. And God says, do not fear him. He doesn't give them battle alignments. He doesn't say anything about that. He just says, don't fear. Do not fear him. Do not fear him. Simple, isn't it? How many of you have had the same command from the word of God? Do not fear. How many times do we hear that as a general exhortation to the body of Christ? Do not not fear. How many of you have heard this one? Do not be anxious. How many have heard this one? Do not worry. Mm -hmm. How have we done with that? So here's what he says. Do not fear him, for I have delivered him into your hand. Typical Israel reaction is, no, you haven't. He's right there. Right there I see him. He's coming down with all his men. You have not done anything. Verse 35. So they defeated him his sons and all his people until there was no survivor left him. And they took possession of his land. Can you see a change going on with Israel? They're starting to come around. They're starting to let patience have its perfect work. They're facing the situations with faith and they're not letting the faith go. They're hanging on to it. And they're being patient. They're not giving in to complaining. They're staying with it. After 38 years, we put in your outline, Israel was facing some of the same problems and having similar results. No water, no water, no water. Each time we had the similar results. Complain, murmur, and come to the same conclusion. God wants us to die. This tells us they refused to allow their faith to be tested. They refused to allow their faith to be tested. All right, how do we accomplish that? How do I refuse to let my faith be tested? Because, folks, you've got to come to grips with this. Every single one of us Christians, at some point in our Christian walk, has refused to let our faith be tested. Because we pulled it back. We, let our faith be, we keep our faith from being tested by putting it away. Remember Jesus? When he was talking to the disciples, how many times did he say to the disciples, where is your faith? Why do you doubt? If Jesus says, where is your faith? And the faith isn't there, right? When they're on the boat and the storm comes and Jesus says, where's your faith? How is it that you have no faith? How is that possible? Did the storm produce anything good inside of the disciples? No. Because their faith was put away. And they come down to Jesus. Remember what they said to Jesus? Jesus is sleeping in the bottom of the boat. They come down to Jesus and said, Master, don't you care that we are perishing? 
And we saw from the Greek there that they didn't come up and gently wake him up. They were shouting. Because when you fall out of faith, one of the first things you begin to think is that God does not care. God does not care about you. God doesn't care about your situation. And God could care less if you were to die. Was it that there are not not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? It has the same pattern and it goes in the same direction. If you want your faith to be tested, you've got to keep it out. You can't put it away. You're facing a situation here today, this week, coming up, whatever it is. You are facing a situation and it is testing your faith. The normal reaction is one that Israel has done all this time. Take your faith, pack it up, and put it away. And bring out doubt, bring out complaining, bring out worry, bring out anxiety. And what we do is we develop our worry, fear, anxiety, and doubt. But our faith remains undeveloped. Because when the going got tough, we took our faith, we put it away. When the going got tough and it's going to develop something in your life, we bring out the worry, we bring out the doubt, we bring out the fear, we bring out the anxiety. We bring out the complaining. We bring out the discouragement. We put away joy. We put away peace. We put away patience. I don't need faith for this. It's not working anyway. And our faith doesn't get developed. But Israel now, in these last two opportunities, had the opportunity to put their faith away. But they didn't. They kept their faith out. These guys have come against us. We will defeat them. When God says, do not fear them, they stood up and they came after it. What is it in your life right now that is trying to get you to fear? What is it in your life right now that is trying to get you to be anxious? What is trying to get you to worry? What is trying to discourage you? Whatever it is, that thing can either put you under or it can develop your faith to be stronger. It depends on what you bring out. Will you bring out your faith? Will you keep your faith out? Or will you put your faith away? I put this in your outline for you. Are you changing the way you deal with life or waiting for life to change first? Are you changing the way you deal with life or waiting for life to change first? This is a lot of times what we say. God, if you will just bring me through this circumstance, I'll start reading my Bible more. I'll go to church more. I'll pray more. I'll study more. I'll share the gospel more. We make all these things because we're waiting for our life to change first. Now, folks, we've got to change the way we deal with life first. You can run from whatever situation you're in. You can run from the place where there's no water. You're going to come to another place where there's no water. You can run from that place where there's no water. You're going to come to another place where there's no water. No water knows how to find you. No food knows how to find you. Too much water knows how to find you. What's too much water? Crossing of the Red Sea. There's too much water. Crossing of the Jordan. There's too much water. We can always find problems. But when you face that problem, keep your joy up. See, that gives you your strength. When you face that problem, stay, keep the peace of God going. Keep that in your life. Keep maintaining it. Oh, I'll tell you what, it'll help you out. Help you know yes or no. Should I go? Should I not? Should I do this? Should I do that? It will tell you. And then patience will have its perfect work because you're not going to give in to fear and anxiety. You're going to sit there and say, Father God, I thank you. I can wait. Right here, right by the Red Sea, and stare at all this water, and turn around and see the army of Egypt, and know that you care for me. And patience 
will have its work. I can stand right in this place where there's no water to drink and I'm thirsty. And I can stand there and say, Father God, I thank you that my water need is supplied. I thank you for it. I can be hungry and all my food is gone. And stand before God and say, Father God, I thank you that you had a plan for me out here in this place where you knew this normal avenue of getting food wouldn't be there. You have a plan to bring food my way and manna would fall from heaven. Have patience with God. Have patience with your faith. Don't get anxious. Don't get fretful. Don't get fearful. Stay in there. Stay in there. Don't give voice to discouragement. When you feel discouraged, something is missing in your life. Something is not there. Don't give voice to it. Remember Abraham? He did that when God himself showed up and said, Abraham, blessed of the Lord. And out of Abraham's mouth comes, how can I be blessed when my only heir is not born of my house? What did he do? Spoke out of his discouragement. Don't speak out of your discouragement. Go and get encouraged in the word of God. Get encouraged in the promise of God. And then speak out of that. And have that praise time like we had here this morning. And begin to shout praises as if it is already done. Declare where you want your future to go. Don't settle for how it's being handed to you. Stand up in the morning and says, you are blessed of the Lord. You prosper in all the things you set your hand to. Whatever it is that people give you, in your hands, it does better than in anyone else's. If you have a problem in your body, don't wake up in the morning and look at that body and get discouraged. Get up in the morning and look at that body and you tell it, blood pressure, you get in line. Weight, you get in line. Pain, you go away. You speak that thing. You do not have a home here. And you make those declarations. And every day you keep making that declaration. How long do you keep doing it? See, patience just keeps on going. Fear and anxiety have a time limit. Patience keeps on going. Don't doubt. Your, and don't doubt his love for you. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, we thank you for the wonderful love that you have for us. Whatever situation that we find ourselves in, Father, you knew we would be there. Whether we're in that situation because of something we did on our own, some disobedience we did, or whether we did it because we obeyed something that you told us to do, whatever situation we are in, Father, you knew we would be there. And you have a way for us to get out. You have a way for us to be helped. All we need to do is not doubt you. That patience have its perfect work. I keep the faith that I have on the inside. I keep that faith doing battle on the outside. I don't put it away. I don't pick up fear and worry and anxiety. I stay in the area of faith. And faith is filled with rejoicing and thanksgiving which just feeds our joy, which makes us stronger. Father, I thank you for these things you told us about in your word that we can add continually into our life that our life may be made complete. I thank you for the change you are doing in each one of our situations. We give you the praise and the glory for it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Nobody looking around. If you're here today and you say there's a situation I'm facing and it's pressing, I'm feeling pressure. I'm feeling the fear and anxiety want to take over. But I'm standing in that area of faith. We want to pray for you here this morning. You don't have to leave your seat. Just raise your hand if you want. Pray for you. Whatever situation you are standing on, Father God, you see the hands that are raised up right here. Each one of these is standing in a place. Some situation. Something that they are encountering in life. Is trying to get them to leave their stand of faith and have them fall into worry and fear and anxiety. Doubt and unbelief. 
And Father, I thank you that you encourage them through brothers and sisters and in Christ, through your word, through your Holy Spirit. They find times of worship and praise, giving you the glory. But Father, every situation that we face, when we face it in faith, it will change for the better. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. We have some praise reports up here. We have some more praise reports. All right. If you can get your praise report in, go ahead and, and do that. Jolly made it over to Nigeria. And this is the first day of ministry over there for him. Are they ahead of us or behind us? They're ahead. All right. So he's, uh, he's probably on Sunday night by now. Yeah. All right. Oh, it looks like I need a phone. Okay. I'll wait for that to show up. Uh, Ray, on Thursday, this, this, um, oh, this week, I got it. This week, I was involved in a non-fender bender. A non-fender bender. I got distracted and hit another car with a large smash. Thanks to God's protection, neither car was damaged, and more importantly, not one of us was injured. Praise the Lord. <laughs> That's good. Gladys, after midweek service on January the 4th, I received prayer for chest symptoms, coughing with blood. Uh, scripture, Psalm 107, verse 20, she was standing on. On Friday, improved. Uh, on one, two days later, on Friday, she said improved. Uh, by Sunday, that week, all was gone. Thanksgiving and praise to God. Thank you, for, um, thank you to all of you who, uh, who are praying. And agreed with me for healing. Glory to God. That's a, that's a good thing. Another one? All right. And this is from Nikolai. It says, praise, and dec- pr- praise declaration and proclamation. I write this praise report as my declaration and proclamation of what is to come with Thanksgiving for our family. A year and a half ago, I was laid off my job in New York City. It was shortly after the before worship practice that I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and was also given word of knowledge and how to approach the job situation for the job that God would lead me to next. I remember that like it was yesterday. It was through my thanksgiving and praise that I was led to my current position in which we have been tremendously blessed financially, but also worked schedule and work in where I don't have to travel as much. This past week, Satan tried to instill fear about my job since I have my yearly review tomorrow, in which I am up for a yearly increase of my salary. This is even after my major pharmaceutical client had told my supervisors that they were very pleased with the work that I had done last year. Satan tried to get me down and make me believe that my job was going to dissolve and I would be left stranded. Immediately, I started meditating on the word that I have nothing to be anxious about, but says in the word that I need to thank him for all the blessings that he has given to me and my family and that I will have peace in my heart. Well, now I write this praise and thanksgiving. I thank God for the increase in my job, the quick selling of our home and the new home that God has for us. I thank you that it is going to rain blessings after blessings on our family. Amen. That is, that is great. Declarations are good. All right, let's all stand up again. So we pray here this morning. We want to pray for uh, Brother Jolly. Continue the ministry. It, uh, he's got the, when, when does the pastor's conference start again? Is that Wednesday? Tuesday. Tuesday. Tuesday is the pastor's conference. That will start there. He has ministry today, ministry tomorrow in other places, and then Tuesday starts that, and then that's a three-day? That's about the whole week, all the way up to Sunday? Mm-hmm. All right. And then he has a couple more ministry things before he heads back. Yes. Did I remember that right? Yes. Okay. So be in prayer for, for him all, for all those, all those things. Uh, Jim stayed at home today. He was not uh, feeling well. Uh, uh, he was thinking he was going to be having to head out to the ER. So for, I forgot the, the symptoms he said he was, he was facing. Um, pray for for him on on that, and my mom's not here. She said she was experiencing some dizziness and didn't uh, decide not to drive on on that one. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the good work that's being done here today with Brother Jolly, through Brother Jolly, the people there in Nigeria. The Father, I thank you for the pastors that come on Tuesday to be ministered to, and I thank you, Father, for all the folks that are being ministered to today and tomorrow, and the days that follow. And Father, your anointing will be on him strong. And the people are ready to receive. We thank you for that. And Father, we thank you too for the work that you're doing in Jim, that you keep him reminded of all the promises you have in your word. And the discouragement does not find its way to him. 
Father, he stands on your word. Thank you, too, for my mom and the help that you give her, Father, to renew her on the word of God and the promise of the word of God, that dizziness has no place in her life. We thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Glory to God. Have a great rest of the week. Bless some folks before you go. We do have the financial class that starts at 1 o'clock today. Uh, that'll be going on. Next week, we have a building fund Sunday. Building fund Sunday is next week. And uh, Wednesday night, we're going to be finishing up the study in the book of Colossians. That'll be on, on Wednesday.